Hey there, welcome to the Product Hive podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the career strategy training from our September 2021 product event, where you'll hear from Michael Lorenk and Chris Nicole, with hosting by Bonnie Bronson. Michael Lorenk does team development, leadership, and Clifton Strengths coaching at ML Coaching. And Chris Nicole is a product leader, coach, and builder of teams at 15.5. This training is here to support you in asking key questions and sharing insights from industry leaders in team development. A big thanks to Lucid and Front for sponsoring this meetup. So now, let's hear Chris and Micah's presentation on mentee training. You've been asking, I'm new to product and UX, and I'm wondering what steps to take next. You've been asking, like, what are my strengths? How do I approach those interviews and really talk about who I am and what I'm great at? How do you position yourself and what roles within product and UX are right for you? And if you're a leader or a mentor, you're often being asked these questions and wondering how to support the people that are on your teams. So we hope to cover some of the principles and concepts behind this. And I'm just so excited to introduce you to Chris Nickel. He is a product leader and coach. And to Micah Lawrence, he specializes in team development, leadership, and the Clifton Strengths um, coaching. So take it away, Chris. So my name is Chris Nickel. I'm a product leader at 15.5, where I mentor and manage a number of product managers and work with an amazing product team. I'm also a PM career coach, coaching PMs and how to move forward and grow in their careers. I had about 12 years of experience in product management and a few years before that in engineering. I was born and raised in Ireland, moved to Canada where I spent 18 years, and I've been living in Spain for the past three years. That's a little bit about me. And I wanted to kick this off with a question of what is a strategy with no vision? So we're here to talk about our career strategy, but obviously having a strategy without a vision is can be a bit problematic. We might have seen it in our own work, in our careers with businesses, and it can be problematic in our own careers as well. So let's just talk a little bit about what vision is. So I've got a couple of quotes here. The first one is, vision without action is merely a dream. Action without vision just passes the time. Vision with action can change the world. And so I think this is really pertinent because certainly in my own career, I haven't necessarily always had a vision of where I wanted to go. And really what I've been doing is passing the time and I've accrued through time experience and skills and competencies that have helped me level up in my career, but it's been very much through that passage of time. And so as I looked at this and I thought about this quote, I thought it was very pertinent to how we move forward in our own careers and having a vision can really help us accelerate our growth in our careers and really get to where we want to go. Another great quote from Steve Jobs is, if you're working on something exciting that you really care about, you don't need to be pushed. The vision will pull you. And again, I think this is true of our own careers. If we have a very inspirational vision, a clear vision of where we want to go in our career, that will pull us through the bad and the difficult times. That will pull us to where we want to be. But we also need to go with that vision, a strategy. So let's talk a little bit about what strategy is. I love this definition of strategy more than most. Strategy is assessing your situation, setting goals, and using the available resources to accomplish these goals. So we'll come back to that in a little bit. 
So if we pull together that vision and strategy together, then what we look for, and this is an approach that I've taken with a number of my team members and, and folks I coach, is focusing first on discover, then on plan, and then on thrive. So I want to break these things down for you and walk through what it could be like to build out your own vision and strategy. Sorry, skip the slide. So first, on the discover side, this is about building out that vision. And so I break this into two places. First, understanding. So this is a number of exercises that you can go through, but you need to first and foremost understand what motivates you, who you are, what's important to you, where you want to be. And that understanding can then become the tools or the information that you can use to build that vision of where you want to go in your career. So some of the exercises and, and workshops you can go through to really help you understand this, one is motivations. So really understanding what motivates you, what drives you, what's really important in your career. Values are another huge thing. We all have values. The question is whether or not we actually really have them well documented and well understood. And values can help guide our beliefs, our attitudes, and our behavior. And so you can go through an exercise of really defining what your values are, putting a little bit of aspirationalist into your values, and building out that, that important aspect of who you are to help guide you in your vision. Zone of Genius is something that comes from a book by uh, Laura Garnett. And I love this concept, highly recommend this book. But in the book, Laura breaks down a number of really key exercises to go through to help you understand your zone of what is a zone of genius. In the book, she talks about a number of different zones. I think the most common is the zone of excellence. And that's where we often get to in our careers. These are the things that we're very good at, but that can be often very draining. Zone of genius, on the other hand, is the things that we're very good at and we excel at, but that also bring us energy. That's where we want to be. We want to be in that zone of genius where we're energized by the work that we do and we're very good at the work that we do. And so her book and her exercise takes you through this uh, weekly exercise of documenting what is energizing you in your work and what's de-energizing your work. And the idea is that over time, you start to isolate the key tasks, work, behaviors that you do at work that actually bring you energy. And then you can start to really help, as you understand, that'll help you define where you want to be in your career. Another great one is understanding your purpose and your mission in life. This is a great exercise to go through that'll help guide you. Strengths and strengths alignment. I won't touch on this much because Micah is going to touch on this a lot. This is incredibly powerful at helping you understand where you want to go in your career. And then another big one is competencies and skills assessment. We often in our work get a little bit focused in on our silo of our company or our team that we're working in. And it's really great to step out of that and really assess how your competencies and skills are across the rest of the market. There's a number of ways that you can do this and activities that you can do here. Once you have a deeper understanding and you go through these or, or many different other exercises to get a deeper understanding of who you are and what's important to you, then you can build out this inspired direction. So there's a number of exercises that I walk through recommend. One is needs and wants. So this is really defining the difference between what you what are needs in your life and what are wants in your life? And then what are those things that you're going to embrace? And what are those things that you're going to release? Going through this exercise can really, again, help define a little bit more clearly where you want to be. Another great important thing is defining what your life goals are. If you have this already, wonderful. If you don't, 
take the time to really define what your life goals are. And so these life goals, a great example of this is I completely changed my career because I def one of the goals that I had in life is I wanted to have a positive impact uh, on the world and the work that I do. I, and like many of us here, are incredibly lucky and privileged to be able to have choice in where we work. And I wanted to be able to choose something that would have a positive impact. And that completely changed my career trajectory. And so understanding your life goals is very important in that vision and deciding where you want to go. And then the last, and what I believe is the most important part of building out this vision, when you've gone through many of these exercises or other exercises that have helped you build a better understanding of yourself, have helped you understand a little bit of the direction you want to go, then you can do this painted picture exercise. The painted picture is really taking a point in time, maybe three years from now, and building a very vivid, descriptive picture of what you want to be doing. In this case, we're talking about career growth. You want to be what kind of career you want to have, what kind of work you want to be doing, who you want to be, who you want to be working with, what kind of things you want to be working on. And you write this painted picture out with this great dis level of descriptivity in it, and that will help you paint out that vision. So all of this together will help you discover and paint a picture of where your vision of your career will be. Now, these exercises, I haven't gone into the detail of exactly what each exercise looks like, but you can feel free to Google these things and find versions of these, but these are great exercises to help you understand. So once you have that vision, once you've got a vision of where you want to be in your career, the next big thing to do is to build out a strategy. Sorry, really? And so this is the plan part of, of my approach to career vision and strategy. And so again, if we think back to that definition of strategy, it, strategy is assessing your situation, setting goals, and using the available resources to accomplish these goals. So how I break that down for career growth is looking at your opportunity assessment. So this is where you might look to what jobs are available to you or what opportunities are there in different jobs, what project opportunities there are, all in an effort to where you can grow. So looking for opportunities, looking for projects maybe within your current company or outside of your company that will really stretch your skills and stretch, stretch your competencies and help you grow. Another opportunity assessment is looking at your competencies and skills, identifying the areas of the gaps and the growth opportunities and then looking at where you can have an opportunity to grow in your competencies and skills. And then the last one is a realignment of your current role in projects for growth. Often we think of ourselves in the work that we're doing, we're trapped and we haven't got opportunities for growth. Sometimes that's just a reframing of where you're at and re-looking at the, uh, the work that you're doing and looking at it for opportunities for where you might be able to grow. And this is a very important thing is focusing on opportunities over titles or positions. I think a lot of us will get out a mute cylinder. And we often get fixated on our on the titles or job roles that we're looking for. And we think about that as the growth. I need to become a senior designer or a senior product manager. And that's my career growth. But what I really recommend is focusing on the opportunities that you have at hand. These opportunities, when you take advantage of them and when you grow, they will lead to the higher compensation, the higher job title, but focus first on the opportunities, not on necessarily the, the title or the, the compensation. So once you've assessed your opportunities and you've got a good sense of where you can grow and the, the kind of opportunities that are available to you, 
Then you want to set goals. I believe in outcome-focused goals, so really measurable changes in behavior that you're looking to assess and, and that will give you results in your growth. Other ways of setting goals, of course, are the smart, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time-bound. There's a ton of different ways to set goals. But the biggest thing is you've got to set goals. You've got to write them down. You've got to make sure that you, you have very clear, and I believe measurable goals that you can achieve to help you in your growth. So taking the opportunity and then turning those into very clear, measurable goals. And then once you've got your goals, you need to identify the resources that will help you get there. So the courses, the books, the learning materials, the mentoring, the coaching, wherever you can find the resources to help you grow. Once you've got this planned together, then the next big thing is to thrive. So it's one thing to have a plan and just walk through that plan. But if you really want to thrive, if you really want to grow in your role, you need regular reflection. So this can look like the zone of genius that I was talking about earlier, where you're reflecting on what has energized you, what's de-energized you. You can look at what's working, what's not working. Look at uh, reflecting on your progress that you've made. But I highly recommend taking time each week to reflect on the progress that you're making and look back and look forward to how you're going to continue to grow. The second way to reflect is through measurement. So you can measure progress. So that could be moving through a course, finishing a number of books, whatever that might look like. But it's also amazing if you can measure growth. And so this gets a little bit more tricky, but for any of the product managers that are here, you'll recognize this as being an important part of what we do in products is measuring success. And so growth, if we're talking about our career, that's really important to be able to measure that. So how that might look is if you're looking at competencies and skills, you can take a measurement of where you feel you're at and you can ask someone, maybe it's a mentor or a coach or a manager or peers to also take a measurement of that. And then over time, as you take a number of measurements, you're going to be able to see that growth. And so if you're focused on your competency around data literacy and you're working very hard to improve your data literacy, you can take a measurement of where you feel you're at, where your peers or where your manager maybe feels you're at. And then as you move through your courses and your learning and your mentorship to grow in that data literacy, you should be able to see that growth as well. The second big thing to help you thrive is accountability. You need to have accountability. So if that's an accountability buddy, a manager, a mentor, or a coach, or even public. I follow someone on LinkedIn who's started to just weekly use the entire LinkedIn community network or entire LinkedIn network that they have to hold them accountable to the startup that they're building. And they're just publicly sharing everything. It's a fantastic way to do it. But whatever way you find someone to help you stay accountable to what you're doing. And then the last part is iteration. And again, we're all product folks here. We know the importance of iteration. But as we grow in our careers, as we find new things that energize us, as we learn new skills, competencies, as we grow, we're going to find that we need to actually uh, iterate. And so... Go back through that discovery process. Go back on your values, on your strengths, and see again where those things are aligning to. And realign your plan to where you want to go. So iterate on your vision, iterate on your strategy, and keep on growing. So if I could just have a few key takeaways, strategy without vision is passing the time. We're all going to grow in our careers eventually if we just let time take its course. If we build a vision that inspires us and pulls us to the course, the career we want, we're going to get there faster. 
We want to build a strategy that is directed by the inspirational vision that we come up with. And then if we break down our approach here, the vision is discovery, it's understanding, it's inspired direction. Our strategy is our plan. That's assessing our situation, setting goals, finding the resources that'll help us get there. And then if we really want to grow and thrive, we want to do regular reflection, make sure we have accountability and iterate constantly. So I really hope that helps as a PM career coach. If you're looking to try and grow in your career, you can reach out to me or look to chrisnickel.com. I really hope that helps everyone as they go through and, and move through in their careers. Over to you, Micah. All right. Thank you, Chris. Coming off video here. Hey, do I have, I'm actually going to check real quick and make sure that I can pull up my screen. Oh, Chris, do you want to do any Q&A before I jump in here or share? I'll take a moment to do some Q&A. And, right, and then I'll get my screen up while you check check the comments in the chat. Okay, so the name of the book, I think someone already put that, but that's Zone of Genius by Laura Garnett. Highly recommend that. Uh, can you give an example of an exercise you find most useful for folks who don't know what their purpose or vision is? Yeah, I think... Bonnie, that's really a lot of those exercises. Uh, the, the very starting point, if you've not got a clue of where you want to go or what your purpose is, to really start with your motivations, what's motivating you, uh, to go through what Mike is going to talk about now with is your strengths. And then I think those two things alone will help to rethink where you're at and where you want to be. Any other questions? You can also come off of mute if you don't want to type it. Yeah, I'll get a list and post it in the mentor channel for everyone with some of the recommended exercises he's listed and a few links. So Chris and I'll connect on that afterwards. But yeah, feel free to reach out here with any other questions. All right. And if you do think of a question, go ahead and post it in the chat. Also, while I'm talking for the next 20 minutes or so, I'm going to ignore the chat until I get through my few slides. And then I'll go back through and read if there were any questions that came up along the way. So whether they're for Chris or for me, we'll have a couple of minutes at the end to address some questions that you may be thinking about while you ponder and reflect on what Chris shared. So uh, thank you, Chris. I'm bummed that you don't have an Irish accent anymore. You must've moved when you were young. So that I was, when you said, when I saw the Ireland flag, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. You moved pretty young. Yeah, I was 17 when I moved and, and had a very chameleon accent growing up anyway, but a few beers and a few Irish friends and it all comes flooding back. Yeah, good. Okay. That's all we need then. Awesome. I'm, my ancestors are from Ireland, but I definitely don't have an Irish accent either. So uh, to, to let everybody know a little bit about me, I am currently a leadership coach to startup founders more than anything, but I do leadership coaching. Uh, career coaching and team development coaching. One of my favorite things is to facilitate workshops around strength-based development for teams of professionals who are trying to work better together and improve their productivity as a team. I actually spent over a decade at a Fortune 100 company in the financial services industry doing project management and mostly strategy jobs. I did a lot of strategic planning and business architecture and strategy uh, related roles. And a lot of what Chris just took you through is those are best practice exercises that, that people use in large Fortune 100 companies. His approach is spot on. And I can just advocate for what he suggested, some of that vision setting, knowing your strengths, all of those exercises were gold. So 
uh, write those down or take notes or get a copy of the slides if you have a chance to, because that's great stuff. I am currently now, so I left my Fortune 100 job to start my own coaching practice early this year and have been a Gallup certified strengths coach for a few years now. I started in my corporate job almost eight years ago. I started using this tool called the Clifton Strengths Assessment and incorporating it into the facilitated workshops that I would lead in the strategic planning role that I had. And over time, I gained an expertise in the Clifton Strengths Assessment and started using that throughout the company and built kind of an expertise around it and a reputation for it that made me take the leap into starting my own practice. Now, I don't have direct experience with product management, but I do have experience with that uh, discipline because of the work that I did. So as you have questions, I, I will incorporate what we've talked about from Chris. Your questions can be specifically about product management if you'd like, but we're going to dig into kind of strengths-based psychology and talk a little bit about what strengths-based development is. So with that in mind, this guy on the left, this uh, is Don Clifton. Don Clifton is the father of strengths-based psychology. He did the research that led to what we even call strengths-based psychology after World War II. He got back from the war. He wanted to dive into some personal development research, and he looked around at what everybody was doing, his peers at the time, and he found that personal development back then was purely deficiency-based development. And what that means is that everybody who was working on themselves were trying to identify what are my weaknesses and how do I address my weaknesses so that I can be more well-rounded. So my weaknesses aren't dragging me down and I'm a more well-rounded person. And Don Clifton is well-known for saying, what would happen if we studied what is right with people instead of focusing on what's wrong with them? And that was the foundation of his research. He started finding who are all of these people in the world that have found incredible success and what was it that led to their success? And as they broke down this research, they learned that the one thing that these people had in common, just incredibly successful people, was that they did not focus on their weaknesses at all. They knew what they were best at. They knew what they were not good at, but they spent all of their energy and development on being better at what they were already good at. So they leaned into their strengths and developed their strengths to go from good to great and become world-class at the things that they were best at. And then they looked to other people to fill in the gaps, to complement what they were best at with the things that they weren't good at. And this approach was revolutionary research. It was different from the way that people were trained to look at personal development. And even today, a lot of people that I work with have a hard time, like what, you're telling me not to focus on my weaknesses? And I'll get to a point about this later that's a different take on weaknesses that it's still there. You want to know your weaknesses, but it's a different approach altogether. So as a result of the research, they found that there were 34 strengths, which you can see across the bottom here on this slide, 34 strengths that they identified across decades of research that different people leveraged in order to find success, which means that there are no negative strengths here, no weaknesses reflected here, but all of these things are good. Then they found that they actually organized very well into four different domains, which is what you across the top. Certain strengths that have this in common, like on the left column, executing strengths are generally people that have a preference for action. They like getting things done. They know how to make things happen. 
That second column, people with high influencing strengths, know how to take charge, speak up. They're great communicators. They're good at bringing lots of people along and influencing and persuading others, not just doing the work themselves. People in the relationship building domain or people with those strengths are generally uh, have a preference for building relationships and connecting with other people and making those connections rather than necessarily focusing on influencing people or getting stuff done. It's all about the relationships for them. And then the strategic thinking domain, people with those strengths, I spend a lot of time in their own head. Their strengths are intellectual in nature in a lot of ways. And so you'll see those strategic thinking strengths come out in the way that they talk about their vision for things, the ideas that they have, the learning that they do. And so all four of these domains cover all 34 of the strengths that were identified in the research. What's interesting about this, and I'll, some, I know some of you have taken this assessment before. It's used by 90% of Fortune 500 companies. At one point or another, all Fortune 500 companies have attempted to use strengths-based development through the Clifton Strengths in one way or another. Gallup is the company that developed the assessment and, and it was based off of Don Clifton's research. Don Clifton became Gallup. And so everybody who knows the word Gallup knows that they're, or the company Gallup knows that they're well-known for their research. And if you go to gallup.com, if you've never done this before, you can purchase a copy of their assessment and they will give you the report. Now, if you decide to go do this, they give you two options. They, they'll have you take a top five assessment, which is cheaper, I think it's $20, or they'll let you purchase the full 34 assessment, which is $50. This report is the first page of that $50 assessment. If you can't afford it, and I encourage you to, if you can, I would, I would recommend that you get the full 34 report because there's so much in there that's valuable that can help you with career planning and knowing where you can be at your best in your work. And a lot of the research that came out of Gallup over the last, I don't know, 20 years, has been about helping people find out what they're good at through an assessment like this, and then figuring out because they're good at these things, these are the kinds of roles that they will excel at. And if you get people doing what they're best at, they enjoy what they do. And when they enjoy what they do, they're more engaged and committed to the success of the company. So everybody wins when people are playing to their strengths. You get to do work that you love. You're appreciated for the value you bring. And the company sees improvement in things like retention, uh, employee satisfaction, productivity, all the stuff that companies are interested in. But you as an employee will also find I'm doing work that I'm good at and that I love when it's aligned with my strengths. So when you get this report, I'll go over this really briefly. There are three sections here that I outlined. There are dominant strengths, supporting strengths, and lesser strengths. Your top 10 strengths or so are what Gallup would call your dominant strengths. I'm going to use Chris's term from the book, Zone of Genius. This is your zone of genius. Gallup has put language to the zone of genius to help people understand not just what they're more likely to be good at, but the things, the activities that are more likely to energize them. When you are leveraging your strengths that are in your top 10, you're likely to be better at them. And they, those activities are likely to be more rewarding to you and energizing to you. On the flip side, if you look down at the lesser strengths, those bottom five or so, if you're expected to do work that consistently leverages these strengths that are at the bottom of your list, those are going to be energy draining. 
it's going to be really hard for you to be uh, committed, engaged, enjoying your work, because those things that are lesser strengths aren't going to resonate with you. They're not going to fill you up. They're not going to energize you. The supporting strengths in the, in the middle just means that these are strengths that you might leverage from time to time, but the environment may have to be right, or the timing has to be right, or your motivation has to be right. They come and go. But your dominant strengths are really what we would focus on and what you should learn about and focus on to start to understand what do these strengths even mean from a kind of academic standpoint, the textbook definition, and what do they mean in me? Like, what do these strengths look like in me? We don't have enough time to talk about all of these strengths. So I wanted to go over a couple though, that are a good example of some of these strengths in action and why it's useful to know what strengths are high for you and what strengths are low for you, but not just for yourself, for your team too, for your coworkers, for your boss. If you can understand their strengths, both their high and their low strengths, it can be a really insightful thing. So with that in mind, I'm going to compare, actually contrast more than compare a set of five, or I think four different sets of strengths. And these are not strengths that never show up together. But statistically, they're unlikely to show up in any one person where both of these str strengths would be high. And that's why I want to talk about them, because statistically, if you have one, you're unlikely to have the other. And as you listen to me explain what these strengths are, I want you to think about which one resonates with you more, because one of them is likely to resonate with you more than the other. And it's an indicator into one of your strengths. And this might be a tool that you can leverage to increase your self-awareness. That, that is really the goal in using this as a tool in coaching that I do is to help people increase their self-awareness so that like Chris said before, as they reflect on who they are and why they're doing things or why you're doing certain things, and you think about what you like or don't like about the way that you've acted in the past or the way that you've leveraged your strengths in the past, it might change the way you do things in the future. And that's what we're looking for is growth and development that's under control, that you decide how you learn from your mistakes and apply your strengths in a productive way for the future. So with these two in common, I'm going to take a drink real quick. Relator and woo. This is not realtor. I see a lot of people read this quickly and they think Re realtor, I'm not selling real estate. What's going on here? That's relator. So someone with high relator really enjoys deep relationships and they put a lot of their own energy into cultivating deep, meaningful relationships with people. What that means is that they often can't afford to put that energy into all relationships so they can only have a few relationships and they, but they give themselves deeply to those few meaningful relationships. So for them, it's depth. They go into depth of relationship. Someone with high woo typically has social courage. They like having lots of friends. They like being around lots of people. They're like the typical extrovert. They're very comfortable in a social setting. The idea of meeting strangers isn't intimidating at all. It's actually fun. They like the idea of meeting strangers and they, the breadth of relationships is more appealing to them than the depth of relationships. So all relators are not introverts. But it is common. I see that people who would uh, self-identify as an introvert also have high relator because they just want to be around the people that they know, and which is typically a small group, not everybody. Whereas the woo people 
really enjoy sh like schmoozing and making new friends. And they're the ones chatting it up with the cashier at the grocery store or the person next to them on the airplane because they like meeting strangers and getting to know their story. So if you, as you think about these strengths, whichever one you have, or you think you have, chances are somebody who has the other. And it's helpful to know that neither of them are wrong when it comes to relationships. Just because one person wants breadth and the other person wants depth doesn't mean that either of you is right and either of you is wrong. But it does help to know that other people see the world differently than me. And when I have language like this strengths-based development language from the Clifton Strengths Assessment, all of a sudden I can put words to describe why I am the way that I am or why other people might be the way that they are. I keep going here. Another couple of strengths are communication and intellection. Oops, I went too far. Communication and intellection are fun because these I do see as pretty contrasting in the workplace. People with high communication like to process their thinking out loud. They're quick to talk. They like having an audience. They like vocalizing their thoughts and they can be quick to share an opinion because for them, speaking out loud helps them come to conclusions and draw conclusions and almost understand and process their thoughts by using other people as a sounding board. They'll actually even use that word sometimes. Hey, can I use you as a sounding board? Or they'll say something like, I'm just thinking out loud here, but, and here we go. And they start talking. And so that's actually really helpful for them to talk through their thought process. And they like it when people are available to listen to that. They like presenting. They like, they have a lot of words to share. People with high intellection, on the other hand, they are internal processors. They are more likely to quietly think about what other people like with high communication are totally comfortable talking about. They want to think about it and process it. And often that means they want to be alone to do it. And so people with high intellection often get a bad rap in a corporate environment because you're sitting in a meeting and the boss comes in and says, Hey, I've got this brand new announcement from HR. Here's what it means. What do y'all think? And the people with high communication are like, what about this? Or I have this question, or I think this, and they start sharing their opinion because that's how they process new information. And yet the person with high intellection who needs some time and space and alone time to think through and process what they just heard, they're going to be quiet. They're going to sit in their corner of the room and process, wow, what does this mean for me? What do I think about this? And if you call them out in the meeting and say, what do you think about this person with high intellection? They're going to be like, I don't know yet. I haven't had any time to process it. And you're asking me what I think. So it, it looks like they're disengaged when in reality, it's a strength of theirs to think things through deeply and draw conclusions over time, because they're going to go a lot deeper and think about the implications of what they feel or what they've learned rather than just throwing whatever comes out of their, comes to mind out of their mouth right away. Neither of these is wrong, but it's helpful to know how, what's true of me between these two things. And what's true of the people around me? When I hear somebody in my, at the conference table or on the, the Zoom meeting who doesn't sound as engaged, is it because they're not engaged or they don't care? Or is it because they have high intellection and we need to give them some space to go process this? There's a big difference there. And recognizing that some people might need that space is a great way to honor other people's strengths and show some tolerance for what's going on in your environment. I'm actually, I'm going to keep going because there's a point that I want to make with all of these, but I'll get through these, all four of these, and then we'll pause on this for a second and talk about what this means for you in your career. All right. People with high focus. These are the kind of people that 
can be really single-minded. They want to work on one thing at a time. And if they know this is the most important thing on my list of things to do today, I'm going to ignore all the noise and I'm going to lock myself in a room and I'm going to put on my headphones and I'm just going to get into this flow where I can just focus on this one thing that I want to do. And once they reach that point where they hit their flow, they go deep, like nothing can distract them. They're so good at focusing, but they need that environment and the time to get to a state of flow where they can just ignore everything. And, and it's funny because I'll hear stories from people who, when they get into that focus mode, they are so good at blocking people out that someone can walk up right next to them or behind them and say their name and they don't even notice. And that's the kind of focus that they could get into if the environment allows. Arrangers, on the other hand, typically will get bored if they have to focus on one thing. They are jugglers and multitaskers. They like having multiple projects going on at the same time. As a product manager, I imagine you do have a, multiple projects going on. And what, with some people, that's they love that. Oh, I get to go from this project to this project to this product to this at different times at different days. And I like that I'm juggling multiple things at once. And my brain is able to make those connections because I find that fun. And I'm actually talented at making all of those work together. They're often called orchestrators. The arrangers know these are the pieces of the puzzle and this is where things go to make it all work. And having lots of things is a good thing. You can't juggle with one ball and arrangers want three or four things going on, sometimes five or six things going on at the same time because that's when they're at their best. All right, last comparison here. People with high dis discipline and adaptability. People with high discipline like having structure. They like having a schedule. They like using frameworks. They're really good at creating plans. When they create their calendar for the day, at the beginning, if, I'm, if I have high discipline and at the end of the day today, I'm looking at my calendar and arranging everything and putting it where I feel like I want my, what I want my day to look like tomorrow. Once tomorrow starts, I expect my day to follow my plan. I like knowing that there's predictability in my schedule and that I know what to expect. If, and people with high discipline, if their day is interrupted and it's not going according to plan, that can be really just, that can be hard for them to adjust to. Whereas people with high adaptability, this strength is something that they like going with the flow. In fact, sometimes they like not having predictability. The idea of waking up one morning and not having anything scheduled and just deciding this is what I'm going to do today and deciding in the moment and going with the flow, that's energizing for them. They like that there's no structure and they get to create their world one step at a time. They're really quick to accept change. People with high adaptability. If someone comes along and, and says, Hey, we've got this fire drill and I want you to work on this thing. They're going to be more likely to be like, all right, I guess that's what I'm working on today. And sometimes it's a welcome surprise, a welcome change. Wow. That's fun. It's spontaneous. Uh, and that valuing spontaneity in adaptability that can be very different from someone with high discipline who values predictability, not spontaneity. So as I pause here and we went over these examples of contrasting strengths, I want you to think about the fact that as if you were a team of 10 product managers and you all had different products, you all had different assignments, chances are good that all of these strengths are represented in all 10 of your reports in your top 10 strengths to some extent, to one extent or another. Somebody's going to have relator, somebody's going to have woo. Somebody's going to have communication. Somebody's going to have intellection. All of these will be represented. 
So what that means is anybody can be a successful product manager by leveraging their strengths. But the danger is when you start to look at the way that other people do their job and you compare yourself to the way that other people have managed their career and you start to feel like maybe I need to do it their way, you start to try to mimic what comes naturally to other people instead of discovering and leaning into what comes naturally for you. And that's the importance of building self-awareness through a strengths-based development approach like this. When you look at all of these strengths that actually I'm going to go back all of these strengths that I showed on this list before every single one of these comes with deep knowledge about what this looks like in a person like you and if you know what your top 10 strengths are and you start to ask yourself what kind of career do I want to create for myself leveraging the strengths that come naturally to me how do I invest in these things that come naturally to me to be better at them to become world-class in something that I'm already naturally good at. When you face a problem, everybody's gonna approach problem solving differently. When you face a problem, think, how does somebody with my strengths address a problem like this? Because the person next to you, if you have high relator and you build deep relationships and your coworker has high woo and they use breadth of relationships, if you try to mimic their style and go woo people and be likable and friendly and energetic, when that's just not you, people are going to sense that. It's not going to work for you like it works for them. So as you think about these career questions or being successful in your current role and thinking about how do I prepare for my next role, knowing your strengths is the starting point of increasing your self-awareness. As you increase your self-awareness and these things deeply about yourself, then all of a sudden your development is a choice. I'm choosing to apply my strengths in these ways because it's healthy. It's the way that I am. It's my way of doing things. And the more you do things your way and become comfortable with it, the more successful you will be. And the easier it will be to not compare yourself to other people in their career path and do what is best for you. So with that in mind, I'm actually going to, I'm going to leave this up just as an example, and I'm going to pull up the chat and see what questions people have. Oh, nice. Chris put in a bunch of his content. Perfect. All right. I don't see any questions in here about the content that I gave for the last few minutes. If anybody wants to come off mute and ask any questions, I'd be curious to know your thoughts about how this applies to you and your career planning. I'm also keeping an eye on the chat. If you have any questions you want to post there. Mike, I, I think one of the things that had come up on previous surveys was how can I relay my strengths in my resume? What would you, do you have any recommendations there for or how you might communicate those? Yeah, that's a hard one because everybody says that they're a good communicator on their resume and everybody says they're a great problem solver. And what's interesting is that when I see that somebody has high communication, I know they're a good communicator. Or when I see somebody has high restorative, which is the name of another strength, I know that they have a natural gift for problem solving. But because anybody can put those words on their resume, the best example or the best way that I've found to draw out your true strengths is to, for one, include examples of how you've leveraged that strength successfully in the past. So I know that's hard on a resume with limited space, but instead of saying I'm a great communicator, you reflect your strengths in this time that I did this. Like I used my communicator strength to do this. I've also encouraged people to just list their top five or top 10 strengths at the bottom of their resume or somewhere on their resume 
and call them the Clifton Strengths or the Strengths Finder Strengths because there are so many companies who are familiar with this that they're going to go look those up because they know what it is. So using it on your resume at the very least, just putting it at the bottom is a way to actually increase your resume. There's actually more for them to learn when they go read the definition of those strengths. You didn't have to write the definition in your resume, but you sent them somewhere else to learn more about you without taking up that space on your resume. Does that help? Okay. Now we got some good ones. Can your strengths change? Olivia asked this. Yes, technically they can. What's interesting is that I've coached people who've taken the assessment 10 or 15 years apart. And when you look at both of their reports, they haven't changed very much. What tends to happen is your top 10 stays, but they change order. And that may depend on how you answered the questions this time or what your job is this time versus 10 years ago, but it's crazy the how consistent and Gallup actually has assessments like this go through a process where they're expected to, uh, to do a reliability test and have a high percentage of, of reliable Gallup has a high percentage of reliability, meaning that it should stay more or less the same. The one, I guess, uh, caveat to that is when I've talked to people who have seen changes, a strength in their top 10 pops down to the bottom of their list or something from the bottom popped up to the top. It's usually because they experienced intense, some kind of intense life experience or major life experience or something really traumatic. And those kinds of experiences change you. And so you see the world differently after something like that. And you'll, if you take the assessment again, you'll often see many of them stay the same, but a few of them will often change. Here are a couple more questions. Are the insights more for manager of the team or the team members to know themselves better in the workplace? Oh my gosh, both. This is not for managers though. This is for you. If you're not a manager. Knowing this about yourself and communicating it to your manager and your team, to your spouse, if you're married, to your partner, all of just knowing yourself deeply, you can do without this Clifton Strengths assessment. The value that it gives is that it gives you language to explain things about yourself that you never realized you needed to explain. When you read some of these descriptors, you'll read them and be like, what's so special about that? Until you realize that the people around you, that doesn't describe them. And they know that about you, or you know that about you, but having the language to explain to yourself and other people that this is the way that I think, this is the way that I see the world, and this is the way that I feel, as described by the language of these Clifton strengths, all of a sudden, it just opens up your world to better communication, better working and personal relationships. And all of a sudden, these strengths become a tool for you to apply strategically to how you do your work. So. Managers, I work with managers all the time and we have their whole team take the assessment and I'll do workshops with their team to talk about these things. And it's super helpful, but it's not just for managers. It's for everybody. How would one identify, let's see, we got just two minutes. How would one identify if something they're learning to do is a weakness they shouldn't focus on or just part of being a big beginner? That's awesome. That's a great question. Skills are not strengths. Anybody can learn a skill. You might actually have a really tight correlation between certain strengths that allow you to learn certain skills faster. And that's a great fit. If you can find jobs where what you're paid to do and the skills you need to learn also align with your natural strengths, that's a beautiful combination. But people can learn to do things that may have come, they can learn skills that may have come more naturally to someone with different strengths, but they can still learn to do those skills anyway, even if they don't have those strengths. The idea is to pay attention for 
what energizes you. And this is exactly what Chris talked about with the zone of genius. If you find yourself putting a lot of time into something that just drains you and you hate it and you're not looking forward to it, that is where I wouldn't focus on building up those skills or strengths. If you have to do it because it's a part of what you're paid to do, you just gotta, you may just have to push through it. But if it's something you can talk to your manager about and be like, are there other responsibilities that I could do that are more in line with what I'm excited to do and where my strengths are versus this thing that just drains me and I don't enjoy? That's worth asking about. All right. I think we have time for one more. Let me just peek. How do these strengths what strengths make the great manager? Okay, so the what? how do these strengths translate? Some are asked, how do these strengths translate into specific roles and what strengths make a great manager? The research that went into this, and there's a great book, if you're interested in leadership, called Strengths-Based Leadership. And this book proves the point that any combination of strengths can make a great leader. The goal is to use your strengths in the way that makes sense to you to lead people because you've heard of multiple leadership styles. There are servant leaders, there are transformational leaders, inspirational leaders. And if you have the strengths for a servant leader, lean into that and be a servant leader. Don't try to be a transformational, inspirational leader. If you're more of a, oh, I just want to support people from behind the scenes and let them take the glory and let them be the center of attention. That's what a servant leader does. And if you have strengths that make you that kind of leader, Lean into that and be that kind of leader. Don't feel like you need to be a, a keynote speaker or a visionary leader if those aren't your strengths. So the, I would summarize that question that part of the challenge is figuring out first, what are my strengths and are there roles that are appealing to me? They look interesting to me that would also allow me to leverage my strengths in the best way possible. All right, we're five minutes to the end of our time, and I promised that we would finish. Let me stop sharing real quick. I promised Bonnie that we would finish five minutes early. Bonnie, do I turn the time over to you? Yeah, I'll go ahead and wrap up. But Mike, thank you so much. Really appreciate this. And Chris, just an amazing overview. Mike, I said those are, that is the process that top companies use. There's a lot of steps in there, and he's provided some of the links for exercises. And the strengths-based process that Mike presented I've used that for every mentee that I've coached over the last probably four years, just because it helps them to get the jobs that they're, that will actually be fulfilling and energizing for them and to select the teams that they want to be a part of. When you go in there, if you take this test or if you read the book and you start to find out like, oh, I'm really just juiced up. I'm, I'm made so alive when I'm working on new ideas and strategy. Let's say you'll have usually one or two of those strengths that just gets you going in the morning, that you want to show up for work, you want to be there in the t in your teams and it, your full self. And when you go into that interview and you speak towards that strength and those other top five, 10 strengths, they'll see that, they'll feel that from you and they wanna work with you. We all wanna work with people who are passionate and alive and excited to be there. And so this process, the process Chris laid out, those are the steps that you go through. And then this process of strengths identification you can even reverse engineer it somewhat to find out what your values are and to find out what it is that gives you meaning. I realized that it didn't matter as much what project I was working on as it did the process I was following with the teams I was a part of. So it wasn't, it was more identifying that kind of fit. I could be working with toothpaste or I could be working with charitable contribution in third world countries. And it didn't matter as much as long as I was acting within the role that really gave me energy as a person. So identifying that can actually help your job search be better. 
and make it clear. And it has for the mentees that I've worked with. And I think it'll answer a lot of the questions that you have here that you've been asking us as a team. So I definitely recommend looking at that. You can get their books or audiobooks or the test, but going down that route is a very awesome route to go. Another point, and just like what Chris posted, those steps are incredible. We'll be over the next week posting some of the resources. We have the map that Gil Lee from Pluralsight provided us last year that shows exactly where you're at um, in your growth as a product manager or as a UX. We're going to repost that. So get in Slack. And if you want to go to our mentor channel, we are really working to post more resources for you there and support you as we're redoing the mentoring program. And so you can click that link in the chat to get an invite to Slack and then go to the mentor channel and interact with us there. Also, the mentoring program, we're really remaking it. If you're interested in volunteering with us, we could really use the help, especially with anyone who's great with communications management, the emails, MailChimp, that kind of strategy, and some of the algorithms. We're redoing the matching, the mentor matching algorithms, and those interested in helping us to match mentors and mentees and improve that experience, UX researchers. So reach out to me on Slack if you're interested in helping out with the program. And we'll be posting from Chris and Micah, some of the points that they put on there and the, this, the deck and things. So thank you guys so much. Really grateful to you. I know the community is, and this means a lot to us. So appreciate you. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. A big thanks to Micah Larenk and Chris Nicole for presenting. And again to Lucid and Front for sponsoring the event. If you learned some things from their training, be sure to share it with your team or share it on Twitter and mention us at product underscore hive. Sharing these talks is a great way to support Product Hive. As always, be sure to check out all our upcoming events. You can find them by searching for Product Hive on meetup.com. And while you're there, go ahead and join the group so you always get the latest updates. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find videos of all the past talks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon, and we'll see you at one of our next events.